Hello, and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schiefer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. For this podcast, we are pleased to have both Annette Nazareth and Jeff Dinwoody from Davis Polk in Washington joining us. As some of our listeners may recall, Annette and Jeff participated in a DerivSource webinar in January in which they discussed an emerging CFTC exemptive program for non-U.S. swaps clearinghouses. Since then, there's been a number of important developments in this area recently, and I wanted to bring back both Annette and Jeff to give us an update on these issues. Just a little background about both Annette and Jeff. Annette is a partner in Davis Polk's Financial Institutions Group and is head of the firm's trading and markets practice. Annette was director of the SEC's Division of Markets Regulation, which is now the Division of Trading and Markets, from 1999 to 2005, and she was an SEC commissioner from 2005 to 2008. Also of note, from 1999 to 2008, Annette served as the SEC's representative on the Financial Stability Forum, which is the predecessor to the Financial Stability Board. Jeff is an associate in Davis Polk's Financial Institutions Group. Before joining Davis Polk in 2011, Jeff was an attorney in the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets, where he served as a core member of the team responsible for the SEC's implementation of the derivatives provisions of the Dodd-Frank Act. Welcome, Annette and Jeff, to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Julia. Annette and Jeff, would you like to give us an update on what's been really happening in the space lately? I'd be happy to. Let me start by providing a bit of background and context. You may recall that the CFTC takes the position that any clearinghouse that clears a swap for a U.S. person, either directly or indirectly through a clearing member, has to either register with the CFTC as a derivatives clearing organization, which we'll call a DCO, or obtain an exemption from DCO registration. Also, the DCO registration requirement applies regardless of whether the swap cleared for a U.S. person is subject to a mandatory clearing requirement. And due to the CFTC's expansive U.S. person definition, the DCO registration requirement may be triggered even when a foreign clearinghouse clears for certain firms that operate outside of the United States. One example is when a clearinghouse clears for a foreign branch of a U.S. bank. And while there are several non-U.S. clearinghouses that are registered with the CFTC, several other non-U.S. clearinghouses have decided that the time and costs associated with registering and complying with the ongoing DCO regulatory requirements are too burdensome, particularly if an exemption from CFTC registration may be available. And in order to obtain an exemption, it's also important to remember that the Dodd-Frank Act permits the CFTC to exempt a foreign swaps clearinghouse only when the CFTC makes a finding that the clearinghouse is subject to comparable comprehensive supervision and regulation by either the authorities in the clearinghouse's home country or the SEC. Recently, the CFTC finally took action on its long stated intention to establish an exemptive regime. In August, the CFTC provided the Australia Securities Exchange, ASX, with a conditional exemption from registration. And at the end of October, the CFTC provided similar exemptions to Korea Exchange, KRX, 
and Japan Securities Clearing Corp., which is known as JSCC. Prior to being granted the exemptions, ASX, KRX, and JSCC, and certain other unregistered foreign clearinghouses have been legally clearing swaps for some U.S. firms under temporary, limited CFTC staff no-action relief. Thanks, Annette. So what are the key elements of the three exemptive orders, and what do they allow these clearinghouses to actually do? Well, the three exemptions are similar in many respects. The CFTC conditioned each exemption on the clearinghouse's ongoing observance of the international standards for clearinghouses, which are known as the Principles for Financial Market Infrastructures, or the PFMIs, and also the CFTC's receipt of annual representations from the clearinghouse's home country regulators, confirming the continued good standing of the clearinghouse in its home jurisdiction. So Australia, Korea, and Japan were each found to maintain clearinghouse regulatory standards that were deemed consistent with the PFMIs. The CFTC also attached a number of other conditions to each clearinghouse's exemption. For example, each clearinghouse had to consent to jurisdiction in the United States and agree to make its books and records open to CFTC inspection. Each clearinghouse also has to maintain certain open access rules and meet swap data reporting requirements and several other daily, quarterly, and event-specific reporting requirements. The other important aspect of the exemptions is that the CFTC has limited the types of U.S. firms for whom the clearinghouses may clear. They're allowed to clear for any U.S. clearing member and any U.S. affiliate of any clearing member, but not for any U.S. customer or any customer of an FCM, which is a CFTC-registered broker. And one difference among the exemptions is that the ASX and KRX exemptive orders allow them to clear any type of swap for covered U.S. firms, whereas the exemptive order is slightly more limited in that it allows JSCC to clear any type of interest rate swap for covered U.S. firms. What are the practical business implications of the exemptions for both the three clearinghouses and their respective clearing participants? That's a good question. The exemptions and the clearinghouses prior staff no-action relief are similar in some respects. For example, both forms of relief prohibit clearing for U.S. customers. That said, exempt status has important advantages that Jeff can describe. I agree. And so, for instance, the staff's no-action letters imposed broad limitations on the types of swaps that each clearinghouse could clear for U.S. firms. For example, ASX was allowed to clear only Australian and New Zealand dollar-denominated IRS for U.S. firms. KRX was allowed to clear only Korean yuan-denominated IRS for U.S. firms. And JSCC was allowed to only clear select types of IRS for U.S. firms. Now, the CFTC did not carry over these restrictive product limitations in the exemptions. As an exempt DCO, ASX and KRX may now clear any type of swap for U.S. firms. For example, IRS and non-deliverable forwards denominated in any currency and broad-based equity index credit default swaps. And JSCC may now clear any type of IRS for U.S. firms. The exemptions also provide the three CCPs with a more settled CFTC regulatory status 
than staff no action relief, which was generally issued for one-year terms, thus requiring annual renewal. Now, the clearing participants of the three clearinghouses also, of course, benefit from the changes in the clearinghouse's regulatory status. This is because these clearinghouses now represent, at least from a CFTC regulatory perspective, a more stable clearing option for U.S. firms. And the clearinghouses may now, if they so choose, expand the types of swaps they will clear for U.S. firms. What are the implications for other clearinghouses around the world and for swap market participants? And also more generally, what should we be watching for in the coming weeks and months? So first, the availability of exemptions for foreign clearinghouses does add some degree of additional competitive pressure to U.S. clearinghouses. As we just mentioned, an exempt DCO can clear more types of swaps and also represents a more reliable long-term clearing option for U.S. firms as compared to a clearinghouse operating under temporary product-limited staff no-action relief. It's possible that this increased competition may also lead to enhancements in clearinghouse technologies and services and to better pricing. And more generally, the CFTC's issuance of the exemptions is also potentially important for other non-U.S. clearinghouses. For example, the CFTC exemptive orders provide a guidepost that other foreign swaps clearinghouses can use to evaluate the costs, benefits, and limitations of exempt DCO status. This is important because the CFTC has not previously issued any public guidance on the eligibility criteria and the conditions and limitations of exempt status, and had only provided private, individualized guidance to those clearinghouses that had approached the staff about the possibility of obtaining an exemption. Now, one could argue that the package of compliance obligations that the CFTC chose to impose on exempt DCOs is more extensive than necessary for exempt status and, frankly, resembles a DCO light registration scheme. That being said, exempt DCOs are subject to a much lighter touch set of CFTC regulatory requirements. Foreign clearinghouses currently registered with the CFTC might ultimately decide that the benefits of registration aren't worth the significant ongoing costs of complying with the full set of DCO regulatory requirements, and they might seek to deregister and obtain an exemption. It's noteworthy that if any registered DCOs deregister in favor of exempt status, and the CFTC continues to prohibit exempt DCOs from clearing for U.S. customers, then U.S. firms that are neither clearing members nor affiliated with a clearing member would have fewer available clearinghouses to which to clear. The other issue that we'll be closely watching is what will happen in the discussions between the CFTC and European regulators concerning Europe's recognition of U.S. clearinghouses. That's right. As many of our listeners know, the European Commission has not yet recognized U.S. clearinghouses as equivalent, even though it has recognized as equivalent clearinghouses in certain other jurisdictions, such as Australia and Japan. We understand that the remaining open issue that has been standing in the way of U.S. recognition relates to a debate between the jurisdictions concerning one-day versus two-day minimum liquidation periods. And what's particularly interesting is that the CFTC chairman has stated publicly several times that the CFTC and the European Commission have worked out a framework for substituted compliance 
with respect to the application of the CFTC's rules to European clearinghouses. And it's not publicly known right now what this contemplated substituted compliance framework would look like and how it compares to the DCO exemptive regime we've discussed today. We'll be watching these developments closely as it will be interesting to see what options are ultimately available to European clearinghouses for purposes of their CFTC regulatory status. That seems a good place to end this podcast. Thank you, Annette and Jeff, for joining us today. Thank you also to those of you listening to this DerivSource podcast. For more information on this topic or to read the transcript, please go to the podcast notes page on DerivSource.com. And if you found this podcast useful, please consider subscribing to our podcast in iTunes or downloading our free mobile phone app so you can listen at any time. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.